Hello, I'm David Hardacre, and this is the Finzia podcast series on fintech, where digital disruption comes to financial services. We're exploring the big question. Will digital innovators kill the incumbents of banking and finance? I suspect change is being overestimated in the near term. I suspect that, you know, an expectation that, that the financial services industry will look fundamentally different 12 months from now is, is, a, is, a, is an over-expectation. But I'm equally as certain that we are underestimating the change in the longer term. Those who believe that financial services will, um, will be largely as it is today, you know, five, seven years from now, I think we'll be, um, I think we'll be really mistaken. That's Ben Heap making the case to invest early in fintech. Ben Heap is a founding partner of H2 Ventures and Australia's foremost venture capitalist when it comes to fintechs. Getting investor finance has emerged as a major barrier for fintech innovators in Australia. So what's the way through that? I spoke with Ben Heap for answers to this and other questions. Right, Ben, well, why don't we kick off with a big general question. How well developed is the environment for fintech funding in Australia now? Well, there's two parts to that, David. Firstly, in terms of in terms of funding more broadly, I think there's been a very notable change over the past, really over the past couple of years. Clearly, there's a, there's a long way still to go, but, but the momentum is pointing in the right direction and probably pointing in the right direction for the first time for a decade. In terms of fintech, to your question more specifically, that has become very much a, um, a sort of a flavour of, of the month or maybe a flavour of the year. We think uh, that fintech is a, is a particularly interesting place to invest because of the significant scale of the financial services industry in Australia and the fact that the financial services industry around the world is yet to be fundamentally disrupted. And so, as has been the case in many other industries, and media and retail are, are just two, financial services will face a period of, um, uh, of really sort of fundamental change. And so, the, the particular interest in fintech is the early investors recognising that change coming. What problems do you see that fintech startups have in getting funding? Yeah, accessing funding is the, is the really interesting question. And look, one argument you will hear is that if you have a great idea, it's easy to access funding. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think I think a challenge in the Australian market is we have an underdeveloped venture capital market. And by underdeveloped, I mean we don't have enough sources of capital at the different stages that, that, that a startup requires capital. And we don't have enough ideas in order to bring that capital flowing in looking for, looking for ideas. It's, it's a market. It's like, it's like any other market. You sort of, it's a little chicken and egg. You need both the ideas and the capital and you need them to arrive in a, in a, you know, at roughly the same level so you don't create bubbles and so you don't kill innovation. So what's the answer to that conundrum? There's a series of initiatives that, uh, that have been put on the table. Those initiatives provide, I think, across 24 different areas uh, incentives, uh, encouragement, 
removal of red tape in order to, to incentivise both provision of capital and to make it easier for entrepreneurs to, uh, to, to build a business. How far behind the game, though, is Australia, given... I mean, the UK has been on this track now for, well, what, a couple of years, you'd say, two, three years? Yeah, I, certainly Australia is a little behind where the UK is, uh, uh, and I think we're behind where Singapore is as well. But I don't think we're quite as far behind as we sometimes fear. More importantly, I see no reason we can't very quickly catch up. That's the wonderful thing about innovation. You can very quickly sort of leapfrog over where current um, operating businesses are. The key thing is, um, is, is that you sort of get all the, all the engines in the economies pointing in the same direction. So I take a lot of encouragement in, um, in something like Stone and Chalk, where, where we are today, which is a, a co-working space specifically built around fintech. Do you believe that there is a, an investor culture in Australia which is willing to, to look at well, innovation broadly, but fintech in, in particular? Well, that's that. I think that's the better question, actually, David. I think that's the important one. I, I, I think the problem we have in Australia is we culturally operate a little bit in tram tracks or train tracks. You know, we 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 we're very dismissive of failure, and so those who seek to start businesses and are unsuccessful very much feel as though that's that's a stigma they might have trouble shaking off. And of, that, of course, that changes your appetite to start those businesses. But worse than that, those who start a business and, and are successful often get, you know, our classic tall poppy sort of, uh, sort of approach. It means we're, we're sort of pushing people towards mediocrity, which is precisely the wrong way to think about innovation and to drive an innovative culture. Now, those two problems are, I think, better understood today than than they were 10 years ago. And so I think uh, we are heading in the right direction in terms of culture, but we need to do more work on that front. Ben, is it just that? Is it, is it just that kind of fear of failure or rather disdain of failure? Or is it that, look, when you look at what you can invest in in Australia, why wouldn't you put your money into property? No, no. Look, that, that that's a very fair point. I I um, I think that those who are uh, looking a little further ahead, uh, those who are taking a real interest in in this in investing in innovation and, and what's going on in terms of innovation, and and I would suggest the prime minister is is probably the the the, the leader uh, or the champion of this this way of thinking, recognise that the way Australia has made money. And the way that, sort of dare I say, the baby boomer generation has become wealthy for the last 20 years will not be the drivers of, of success and economic growth for the next 20 years. OK, so that being the case, is there a case for education of investors? Are the possible benefits, risk-benefit ratios of investing in fintech or other broader technology well enough known to the investor community? I, th I think venture capital in Australia is a is a is a, a very um, a little understood asset class. I think that's the essence of your question, and I, and I would I'd agree with that premise. And so, part of what we need to do is uh, is to provide sufficient information, sufficient knowledge, such that 
individuals and then institutional investors can sensibly invest in these asset classes. Now, that's a little easier for institutional investors because they have the expertise to do that. And, and we're, you know, we're really delighted. Um, our firm recently announced an investment partnership with First State Super, one of the, the largest superannuation funds in the country. And there are a number of other moves by the large industry funds and, and, and superannuation funds to invest in this asset class. Right. So this is a, a, a pretty new approach, isn't it, for super, for super funds? It is. I, look, super funds uh, were significant investors uh, in technology 10 or 15 years ago in, in, in what became the, the dot bomb, uh, the dot com bubble. <laughs> Maybe dot bomb is the right yeah, word. I think, I, I think it's the name of a book. Um, <laughs> and 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 a lot of those a lot of those superannuation funds uh, lost their shirt through that period, and so there is an appropriate level of reticence, an appropriate level of um, concern about diving back in. We're hopeful that the industry funds and the superannuation funds, and, and even more so uh, the, the, the individual investors, recognise the opportunity around venture capital is to move earlier rather than later. The opportunity is to get in as these new themes are getting traction rather than waiting until the prices get far too, far too frothy. When you look at a, a fintech startup, where they're going to go to get their money, it doesn't seem to be a very clear path. Would I be right to say that? No, I think that's fair. I, I think part of the answer to that is that uh, there's, a, there's a really quite quickly evolving venture capital market here in Australia. And, and what we're doing is an example of that. So we back early stage businesses. There are several, still not many, but, but several uh, active venture capital investors uh, who will then invest at latter stages in those fintech startups. What you want to see in, in an economy, do you want to see that both the capital coming out of, out of angels, often called angels, but, but I'll describe it colloquially as smart capital. So, so someone who has spent the past seven years playing a key role in the, in the establishment of a business like Alassian has a terrific set of skills to be an early investor and a board director of the next uh, exciting startup. Yeah, because what I have in mind, uh, the story of a company called Simply Wall Street, they've spoken about having to knock on about 80 doors to get raised $600,000. That seems extreme. Well, I, we like Simply Wall Street. We were the first investor in Simply Wall Street. They, they went through our accelerator program and, um, and, and we think they're a terrific example of an Australian fintech business that can take on the world. But I would, I guess I'd, I'd, um, uh, I'd probably challenge that, that knocking on 80 doors is extreme. It's actually not meant to be easy. Being, a, being an entrepreneur. It's not meant to be easy to get a business off the ground. One of the wonderful things about knocking on, on 80 doors, as, uh, as Al and Nick have had to do, is every single one of those doors teaches you a little bit more about your product, a little bit more about what investors are looking for. And you get to know a lot about doors. You get to know a lot about doors too. <laughs> the, can you give us some examples of what you have been funding? Sure. So Simply Wall Street, we spoke about a moment ago. Another good example is a company called Macroview. Macroview is a thematic investing platform. 
Uh, it's one that we initially backed and subsequently AMP took a significant stake in that business. Uh, another business I'd mention is Equitise. Equitise is a crowdfunding platform and, and it's a business that in fact had to, had to uh, launch their product in New Zealand where the crowdfunding laws were already in place versus Australia where, uh, where those laws are only coming into effect now. Probably another one is a business called Stockspot. Now, Stockspot is a robo-advice platform, and Stockspot's a business that's raised capital from a, a very substantial German venture capital firm. Each of those businesses has raised capital at multiples of their initial million-dollar valuation. Um, several of those businesses, we would anticipate, will go on and become very significant businesses. And... You know, the wonderful thing about investing in a portfolio of these ventures is you are, you are assisting founders in actually building entirely new businesses with entirely new sort of workforces, terrific employment and terrific growth and export opportunities. You know, we think the model works. We, we do think that backing these early stage businesses, identifying the right founders, and I should say, David, we're... We've seen over 300 founders, so, so we've been able to pick what we believe are the, the most likely to be successful, and, and, uh, and the hit rate's been pretty good so far. I just want to ask you a question about the role of the financial institutions, which are, in fact, part of Stone & Chalk, as you are. Are you in competition with those financial institutions? Because I assume that you're all looking for a great new idea. That's a, it's a terrific question. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of considering how to respond to that. I, I, think, I think to the extent there's competition, it's very healthy and constructive competition. But I'm not even sure it's competition. I, often the ventures we are backing are what we would refer to as in, enablers, um, businesses that are providing something uh, in a new and better way which will be terrific fits for the big banks, the big insurers, the big wealth firms, uh, that they will be their customers, sort of B2B businesses. Understood. So by you guys funding them, I guess they maintain their own independence in a way. They are their own business. Is the alternative not that, say, a financial institution, let's say Westpac, puts money into a venture, that they're effectively acquiring the new tech? It's interesting because, and, and we'll use the example of Westpac, has, uh, has, has formed its own venture capital firm called Reinventure. It is, amongst others, have been a big supporter of what's going on here at Stone and Chalk. Is, and, and I think all the banks and, and all the big financial services firms are acutely aware that they need to participate in innovation in, in the financial services sector. I've, look, I've said before, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of happily say to you here, I, I think it's, it's somewhere between very likely and certain that in 10 years' time, there will be a large financial player uh, that will be amongst the top echelon, the top five or six uh, financial services firms in Australia that doesn't exist today. That's a big call. And to be replaced by any by, by perhaps a tech operation? I think so. Yeah, I think I think it will be I think it will be a new and innovative model. And it might be in the P2P lending space. It might be a sort of a robo-advice proposition. 
It could be an interesting new model in insurance. All of those things are, are examples where there's some incredibly clever new um, innovative business models that are being developed and being tested that customers are, are soaking up. Crowdfunding. You mentioned crowdfunding before. What's the state of play with crowdfunding in Australia? Is it working for fintechs? So, so crowdfunding in Australia is still very, very new. And, and there are, as yet, uh, there, there's no operators who've been given a licence in order to provide crowdfunding to retail investors. It is possible in New Zealand, and there's at least one operator, Equitise, we talked about earlier, who's operating in New Zealand. And it's also quite prevalent in, in markets like the US and, and Israel. So the challenge we have here is until that, that legislation uh, is enacted and, and until there are, there are operators who are, who are up and providing that service in the Australian market, we're missing out on, on that retail investor coming into early stage innovative businesses. That, that's, that's a gap. It's not just the gap in terms of a broader potential source of capital, but there's a cultural aspect to that, which goes back to a point we talked about earlier. This is about facilitating a lot more people starting to think about venture capital investing. Is there a role to change the way the regulator, well, the regulators themselves look at this? I've heard it said that the regulator is possibly over-focused on minimising risk for the, for the investor in crowdfunding. Do you agree with that proposition? Difficult to say over-focused because uh, the regulator's role is to protect, in this case, investors. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very reticent to, um, to suggest that, that the regulator should in any way sort of resolve from that role. However, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a clear understanding that venture capital is a high-risk type of investment. It's a high-return investment too, that's the point. And, and to your point broadly, David, I, I think, I think the regulator needs to, needs to um, uh, have in place a sort of a regime that allows it to, to allow the market to be a little bit more experimental. In terms of regional competition, do you regard Singapore as the major competitor in terms of um, in terms of funding? Look, I think Singapore does a, a very effective job uh, from a government perspective of sort of driving policy. But I, I regard cities like Shanghai uh, and perhaps Beijing as as the really interesting cities in this space. We. We've recently released a report on the, 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 the most interesting 100 global fintech innovators. And what's most notable in that report is the rise of Chinese fintech firms, including our number one global fintech innovator this year, that, that's a Chinese insurance firm called Zongang. So th that, is, that is the market that I think is the really interesting opportunity globally and particularly for Australia. So this much promised idea of becoming a fintech or a financial services hub of Asia may be realised or realisable off the back of fintech and the ability to develop digital solutions that can be taken through the region.
And so the opportunity to take, for example, a terrific Australian FinTech firm, someone like a Simply Wall Street, and to take their product into a market with a billion and a half people like China is an amazing opportunity. Next time round on Finzia Podcasts, join us as we journey into the new frontier of digital disruption as we explore the revolutionary power of Bitcoin and the blockchain. I recall the first time I saw HTML and the first time I saw internet browsers and thinking, wow, this is pretty cool and being excited by it. Um, I had the same sort of feeling, sort of deja vu feeling about the impact that blockchain can provide to the world, only because it starts to fundamentally test the assumption of things we've taken for granted. Um, yes, I do believe it can be as large as the internet's impact. Mm-hmm.